You guys, yeah. We are putting on this podcast, and if you don't like it, then tough titties, you ass turd monkey fuckers. Wow, who are you angry Mother at right fuckers. now? Is it, I feel like it's aimed at us, at CJ and I, but also <laughs> potentially our audience who has followed, <laughs> followed us. Hey, I love our audience. First of all, I love our audience deeply. Okay, yeah. we have a really solid. Uh, Sect maybe is the best word. Gang. Uh, yeah, like cult. Yeah. gaggle. I'd like cult? a cult. Tribe. Tribe. Uh, we try not yeah. to use tribe. I guess that's maybe. true. You're right. You're right. What about um, what about a gaggle? We have a, a or a murder. A, a troop. troop. That's it. We a have troop. a troop. A an romp. acting troop. A romp. a romp. A group of otters is a romp. <laughs> is that right? Yes, it's one of my favorites. That's really cute. Yeah. Well, cute. we have <laughs> we have a troop. I like a, a troop of tragedians who follow us and and are like a solid uh, listening uh, base that has really supported us and we appreciate you all. Um, I wish all of them would rate, subscribe, and review. Right. Please. But, but we should give a, a shout out to um, Chris Richardson. Okay. Who's yes. a friend of ours who's like, he's listening right now and he's oh. sipping tea. And Hi, Chris. Yeah, and he's, hey Chris, how he's you doing? Been listening and uh, and and promoting and shouting us yeah, out. And, he always reposts and, and says nice stuff. People ever like we worked in a semi crappy job together years ago, and we've maintained a friendship and stayed in touch. And uh, he's out friends. in Pasadena. We should we should hook up and we should go out what? to lunch with with Rick, with Chris. We'll take him Chris. to Sasso. It's a yeah, new yeah, restaurant fancy. using the courtyard at the Playhouse. Come on, yeah, let's lunch, do fancy. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, that'd be fun. Yeah. I um, wish we had a connection to all of our listeners. That would be super nice. Yeah, but in general, like, I just, engages, like, I love yeah. them and I love y'all. I'm glad yeah. we do this. Yeah, this absolutely. Yeah. Hey, listeners. Yeah. But oh. speaking of this podcast, welcome yeah. to Theater Theater. The theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm J. Bailey Bertram. I'm C.J. Merriman. I'm Scott Leggett. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well done, y'all. Way to yeah, take yeah. take the cue. It's and improv go with training. It. That's right. Roll with it. Roll with it. <laughs> Christopher Guest would be proud. Uh-huh. That's right. We are back for part two of our bonus miniseries, Movies About theater movies that aren't plays or musicals but they're about life in the theater Mm -hmm. uh unfortunately though you may have noticed the loss uh of a voice uh since part one unfortunately we did lose the incredible the incomparable the phenomenal pam quinn uh she was our guest for part one we didn't lose her in a sad way 
We lost um, her. In, we lost her in Texas. Say that out front. To be fair, we lost her in Texas. No, to we didn't clear, lose her. She's, she's visiting not dead family. in Texas. She's fine. She's, she's fine. fine. She's okay. She's right. I guess the way I was presenting right that. now. I hope she's yeah. having a good time right now. I'm sure she is. I I guess the way I presented that was a little morbid. No, she's <laughs> like, damn. Oh my god. She's fine. She's chilling with family in Texas, but uh, sadly. Uh, she's unable to join for this app, but you can go support her on her Instagram at the Pam Quinn. Um, and she also has a TikTok, Casper and Pam, uh, where she has, I think it's almost 600,000 followers now or over 600,000. Goddamn uh, right. Famous. It's, and so is Casper. Yeah, her, yeah, her we've singing all dog. With Casper, the <laughs> right. singing dog. I've been uh, snarled dog, at by that, Casper. Oh, yeah, that dog party's hard. Yeah. <laughs> hard. Um, you can check out their TikTok. They were also recently on America's Got Talent, where they got mm -hmm. through to the next rounds. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't have spoiled that, but they did. Um, and Spoiler. it's already aired. Go check it out. Uh, <laughs> but go watch it, because it's fun. Um, the judges it, give her a hard time, but it's all in good fun. They do, but they their reaction when Casper joins in the chorus of the song mm. is magical. Like It yeah. really yes. is fucking fantastic to watch the audience and the judges' faces as he joins right in on the chorus like is perfect well may i just say like i have to say i mean casper's great there's he's awesome and he's right on cue and he's adorable and hilarious but pam also sings her ass off oh like, yeah she sounds oh, yeah amazing too absolutely and i would be nervous as fuck if i was doing that so <laughs> Yeah, if you go to her TikTok, she sings every song you can imagine. She sings Greatest Showman songs. She sings musical theater. She sings Streisand. She sings Celine Dion, whatever she's going to do. Um, a lot of Disney stuff is on there. But anyway, we digress. Digression. Digressions. Uh, but that's okay. We're going to carry on without Pam, and we'll have her back soon. She's going to join us for all of these uh, uh, sixth miniseries, uh, as we call them. Yeah, so last time we covered... Remind me, we did Waiting for Guffman. Mm -hmm. which, and Shakespeare in Love. Which mm -hmm. I would like to call uh, Waiting for Pam Quinn. Waiting for Pam Quinn. <laughs> and Good. Podcast in Love, because there's nothing really clever to do with Shakespeare in Love. True. <laughs> Shakespeare in Pod, I guess. I don't know, but Podcast in Love is nice. Podcast in Love, yeah. Yeah. But today. It scans. It scans. It's <laughs> the scansion tracks. <laughs> um, but today we're covering a pseudo Scott pick. Scott's pick got kind of ruined uh, when right. we couldn't find Topsy Turvy anywhere. But and the there was some channel. there was some confusion about this, and and I did do some research, and indeed that is why. So when Criterion, right. when something gets selected by Criterion to do to get remastered and re put up and all that stuff, it uh, it has a a, a contract for a period of time where it's not available anywhere else. So we couldn't rent it or anything, and none of us had Criterion credentials that we could <laughs> well, use. Well, what's annoying <laughs> is I use someone else's Criterion channel. Uh, friend of the pod. Well, I shouldn't say whose I use. I, never mind. But I, I do use um, <laughs> if someone else's. If you want to login and pass, it. Right. I, I use someone else's uh, login, and... Uh, He's a good friend. He's hooked me up with it. He uses my Hulu in exchange, uh, and it's which is great, great trade. But I can't get it to like 
cast on, say, Scott's TV where we were trying to watch it. It doesn't work that way. I have to cast it to my own device. So it was a bitch. We couldn't remember the password. I didn't feel like texting him in the middle of the night. It's all, it's crazy. Uh, we got to get back to it, though. I'm stoked to watch that movie. Well, yeah, and what's yeah. interesting is we, uh, CJ had posted uh, on Facebook for just for the podcast and part one and, and, and shouting it out. The comments that came in from a lot of our friends and, and listeners were throwing out other ideas for uh, theater movies. You know, oh, movies. nice. And so there's a huge pot of stuff for us to go back to. So, yeah, we'll do topsy-turvy again. Uh, well, I don't point. know if y'all remember how hard it was for me to make my decision. Oh yeah, like mm-hmm. it's, it's tough. Like had a list of like six. Yeah, it's it's tough. And then when you start thinking about that, like somebody brought up All About Eve, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, why didn't we right. do All About Eve? Like, well, All About a- Eve was one of my options. Yeah. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan was one of my options. Uh, Don't th- think twice. The Mike Birbiglia, Keegan Michael Key, uh, mm-hmm. sort of SNL. Uh, improv comedy and I just was like I I could do all of these but then I was like I can do an in stuff with this one I can uh, save this for a later uh, podcast day uh, mini series day so Mm -hmm. I just I I ended up landing on the one I did but we ended up deciding on this one uh, kind of out of necessity and uh, I'm kind of excited to talk about it so Scott what was your choice well my choice uh, that was made by CJ uh, suggested by CJ let's, and let's, made by all. And let, let me just say that we were proudly drinking some whiskey as we were debating it. And then we were. CJ said, what about Hamlet 2? And I was like, and, we, and Bailey and I looked at each other like, duh. Like, it's, uh, it's great. It, you know what What ended up being great about it, as especially as I was going over my notes prepping for today, was that it is so silly. Um, mm-hmm. That it's it's a different flavor from what what the other stuff that we have. Guffman is obviously funny, and but it's also wonderful and heartwarming and charming in so many ways. I would never use the word charming necessarily to describe <laughs> him no. too. Um, but it is funny. There's some jokes in there that I'm a little ashamed of that yeah. I like mm. and laughed at, like. It's funny because I had always assumed, even when I first watched it, that Steve Coogan had written and or directed this. Right. He wasn't. He was just an actor for hire, which we'll get into a little bit more of Mr. Coogan, who's a fascinating talent, not just for his writing and directing and acting, but also like a lot of his um, uh, political stuff and activist Hmm. stuff that he's done in Great Britain, which has been... Uh, which is really cool to, to look at. Um, also the Trip Trilogy. And the Trip Trilogy. of Oh, my God, the Trip Trilogy. So this wasn't just a vehicle for him to show his ass as much as possible on camera. I, he shows I think it like 35 times. Yeah, you know. There's like only like 35 have... ass shots, CJ. What are you talking about? It's, it's, such, a Brit, it's such a British thing, and I think it's yeah. because... It wasn't Python, but it was like John Cleese and Marty Feldman, who's it's his birthday today. We should shout out Marty Feldman, the great Mm. character actors ever. And if you go back and watch his old British sketch stuff, and in addition to the the movies that he did, he's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But at some point, they were able to convince the BBC that showing bare butts on TV was okay. And they started to get away with it. So you have this whole slew, this whole generation of 
of British comedians who just always showed their asses or showed their and asses like, a lot. I don't think he was even thinking about it so much. Like, right, right. Like <laughs> gooch, like heavy on the gooch. Like I saw a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Listen, dealing with know, high school kids. They're, yeah. sh they're shooting in what, New Mexico, it's warm, things are gonna start uh -huh. to hang. Uh, you know, I mean, he a, even we wears can't. those like harem pants and he's like, yeah, it keeps my balls at room temperature. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Gooch. I need to use that word more. The gooch. The gooch. Because <laughs> it applies to sort of the whole area. And yeah. it's also, it's not gender specific. You can go, <laughs> you can go anywhere with it. My gooch. Yeah, your gooch. <laughs> your gooches. Yeah. All right, I'm going to use that as much as I can now. <laughs> you see it, you get gooched. <laughs> I'm going all day with this, guys. Now you've opened up a can of yeah, worms. Yeah, we can, we can step <laughs> away from the gooch. You've opened up a can of gooch. Step away from the gooch. <laughs> step away from the gooch. All right, it's new just so podcast. Easy. All right, we're, I quit. I'm done. Um, <laughs> I will everybody. say, though, there are, the, as you know, we say that, but it's also, it's made by Pam Brady, okay? She is the creator writer uh and and there's another one too what's his name armando uh, andrew andrew fleming is uh, uh, fleming and fleming. pam pam brady co-wrote it together and andrew fleming directed right. it but right. she 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 you can hear her voice pretty clear in it i think uh, if you watch absolutely her south, her south park stuff yeah so she's big south park girl she she does all of their stuff um and then we have like Fleming, not so much. He does a lot of TV directs, he did some, like Arrested Development stuff, and yeah, uh, I think that's right. And like, I mean, like, I'm not episode. mad at his career or nothing. Like any of us would be glad to have that career, but it's not. Right. No, he doesn't have a whole bunch of superstar stuff on there. Right. He does uh, direct. Um, yeah, he directed the movie The Craft. That's correct. Yes, oh yes, he God. did. The original craft, yeah. That's crazy to me. He also directed one of my favorite slash least favorite movies. I don't know how I feel about this movie, and yet I think I've watched it once a year my entire life since it came out. The, the movie Lone Ranger? No. I'm kidding. I'm just no, fuck God. Oh, God. I want to talk about terrible <laughs> situations. Um, no, the movie Dick. Uh, yeah, seen with, that one. Um, with Michelle Williams and um, uh, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. It's actually a pretty good flick. Like, I'm, does it hold up? It. I don't know, man. It's. I'm conflicted by it. It's Dan Hedaya. Is that how you say his name? Hedaya. Dan Hedaya. Yeah. Uh, who, from who I always knew from like Adam's Family and things like that. Cheers. He's, he was reoccurring on Cheers. Right. Cheers. He who is. Play on Cheers. He was uh, Rhea Perlman's ex-husband, like the real creepy guy. Oh God and, damn it! That's then, great. And then he got a spinoff. They did a spinoff of Cheers that's all about him, and it did not last. Frasier. <laughs> Yeah, Frazier. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, he also wrote the screenplay for Dick and the Craft. Uh, he also does the Nancy Drew Nana. screenplay and direction, Nancy. which is that uh, Emma Roberts vehicle when she was young. Mm. Besides that, right, the most recent thing he's done is that kind of controversial show, uh, Insatiable. He directed a bunch of episodes for that and wrote a mm -hmm. couple. And Lady Dynamite, but he and Pam Brady. Uh, Pam Brady also is, is Lady Dynamite. Um, but you can feel those influences here right like mm. she she produces and writes south park bigger longer uncut mm. she has a she has a writing credit with matt stone and trey parker on that all one. right right um she's in the writer's room for all of that she is in the writer's room for team america more recently she's like she's 
freaking uh, Lady Dynamite. That's been her kind of her project for the last few years, which is fine. Have you guys watched Lady Dynamite? No, no I haven't. I saw like an episode of it, and quite frankly, I was stoned, and I just never circled back. Yeah, Maria Bamford's great. I've seen her do a couple live shows in L.A. She does great yeah. stuff. But I don't know that the sh- I don't know. I only watched a few episodes. It didn't clock for me. I wasn't super in on it. I know people love it. Yeah. Did y'all maybe want a breakdown? CJ's Breakdown. A ridiculous drama teacher at a high school in Tucson, Arizona, attempts to save the theater program with a last-ditch attempt. Two attempts in one sentence. Good, CJ. To save the theater program with a last-ditch attempt at Spectacle, a new musical called Hamlet 2. When it's shut down by the school board, he and his band of students come together to make it happen. So one of the things I was going to say and what I kind of observed about it, because you brought it up last week, Bailey, you know, there's some there's some problematic elements uh, to be sure. But one thing I will say that I think is a saving grace is that most of the time it is its target is Steve Coogan, that they're punching at him as opposed to punching down a lot. But yeah, there's there's still some problems with it. Oh, but for it sure, makes me laugh. Like it laugh. Like I gotta say it. Like I feel like I've been raped in the face. Like floors me. Like and I don't want it to. I don't want it to. But it's it's a funny line to me. It's just funny. Yeah, uh, I don't know about that. I that one was hard for me this time around. I think when I was and. I was going to say this to later, but if we're, if we're getting into that deep, I want to say when I was 14, 15, whatever, I, when this came out, uh, I was working at Blockbuster. You were the and, perfect age. Yeah, yeah 2008. Never mind. I would have been 17, 18. So I was a little Still old. a high school kid, though. Okay, right. I'm cool, still in high cool, school. Cool. I brought it home and I shit my pants laughing. Right. At, <laughs> Just about everything, because the masterstroke of the film is the way that it starts with showing you his film reel. He's been on Xena. Yeah. He's been on herpes right? commercials. The herpes, the herpes, the herpes cell, or Yeah, <laughs> like it's that's a genius. So right away, I'm in on it. It's silly. It's stupid. It's hitting on all these weird pop culture things that I love. And then it is doing the South Park thing, which. We forgive South Park for, let's be clear. We do a lot of standing up and forgiving of South Park. We did it the in the episode. helps a little bit. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. That is true. And Absolutely. I would argue this is kind of an animated movie without being animated because it's so... It's, Cookie cutter characters well, well, yeah. for a yeah. lot of people. And, and yeah. also just like uh, in terms of production, in terms of shooting it, like a friend of mine noticed a, a while ago and had mentioned it to me, how bright everything is. Like yeah. we were huh. talking about how you, sh- you, know, you shoot comedies with brighter palettes and that kind of thing. And his, his example was Hamlet too, because it's a fairly low budget film. Yeah. Obviously not a huge, huge, you know, epic production thing. Except for but that the, fucking the, production at the end. Right. Damn. Right, but you know, yeah, that's clearly where all the money was spent because they just yeah. used a local high school. They didn't even use like sets right. or anything. All the extras right. were the high school kids that were there and um but yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to I, digression, but like mm-hmm. you were saying Bailey. No, just all that to say it's it's like 
now on rewatch, the things that I think I used to really forgive about South Park, about this movie, about things like this movie, um, I had trouble with in a 2021 brain set. I really, I had a couple issues, especially trigger word, right? Like the use of, you know, raped in the face. It is jarring right away. I used to have friends and I even would make jokes where you could just use that word and we'd all laugh because it's just this jarring word. Right. Yeah. But at the time we weren't talking about it with our friends who had been assaulted. Right. That was, and, or the, or they, or they were in the room and we didn't realize it and we didn't see their reaction. Right. So I've had to like really come to grips with how I used to use that word, how comedians have used that word and other words similarly. However, when he's saying it early on, I'm like, I don't like this. When it happens in the show and they yeah. do the full number, somehow I was holding, I was trying not to laugh. Right. And that makes me a horrible person and I understand it, but it's the context of it that makes it so funny. It does. And it, yeah. And I think, that, you know, I think the, the, those shock value moments for us being able to go, oh, oh, accept them and kind of in, enjoy the moment and and move on from it, is 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 a declaration in favor of the film. Like because there's sure. juxtaposition stuff too. Like I think that the most hysterical fucking thing is when he reads the review of the play, the Aaron Brockovich production. Yeah. Studio reviewers Brockovich, pretty great. And they're, really, and they're reading the review and then he goes to find the critic. And of course it's just a middle school kid. With like a weird <laughs> lateral list. It's a weird yeah, and he's just like this you know kid like and he's like, I'm just telling it like it is. And the that picture of the damaged ego of a theater maker of an actor and and just the fact it that that was the brilliance for it i think that that's why i always respond to that south park sense of humor it's the it's the it's the below the belt stuff that we don't want to laugh at that we feel guilty about laughing at and then the profundity and the simplicity of just turning that little aspect of of what theater world is on its head and it's 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 which hilarious. ends up basically being the premise of Birdman, the next movie that right. we're we're talking right. about. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like exactly. this guy who's just so obsessed with his image in the world and like getting the good review and like being taken seriously. And then you have Coogan doing it and it's and they're both absurd. They're both complete absurd performances, which I love. But this is um that there's something special, as you said, Scott, to him just walking out and finding the kid reviewer and having this whole conversation on the playground so sincerely. So sincerely. Him. Like, break it down. Like, tell me what's going on. My, I mean, go ahead, see. Oh, my favorite line that is also a sight gag is a prickly pear fertility, fertility clinic. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> that was, and honestly, to be quite honest, Catherine Keener kept kind of killing me with her one liners. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh God. Yeah. She's so good. She's, she's funny. just in she a She kind zone. of ends up being one of the bad guys, but she was very funny. Like, her shit there, is hilarious. It's, she does it, she does it in 40 year old virgin, too, in, in the exact opposite yes. way, where she finds these sort of broad characters and then grounds them. 
like just marvelously grounds them in in a truth and a reality so that you you're connecting to him even like you're kind of like like the scene at the bar where she's getting hammered and kind of taunting him about his alcoholism which is horrible and (laughs) it's also funny you know well and david arquette like him being a hot boy in the movie, like I was like, what year are we in? This is just crazy. 2008. It's kind of the end of him being the hot boy. That was the he's end. He's hot though. Like he's. This is probably the hottest I've seen him in. A he's movie. hot, but meant to be old enough to like pair with Keener, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's he's yeah he's working it. That whole family though. Let's be straight up. Oh yeah, oh, my <laughs> every one the of Arquettes them. The Arquettes, who were killed in Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, if we can remember that. Well, oh, that's right. The entire Arquette and Baldwin families were well, murdered in, that, in the unless, making of this film. Unless we forget that um, that um, Louis Arquette, their dad, the patriarch of that family, was in Waiting for Guffman. Um, oh, yeah. oh, who yeah. was he in it? He's um he's um the the narrator of the play the the tax right. we talked guy. about him last time oh, I Cl- love Cl- it. Cl- Cliff Cliff Woolley he's Don't Cl- even get me started on Bean Don't get me started on Bean Well I didn't see you sitting there Come I didn't up next see you the there fire. And he's so good he's so good at it yeah. It's the only scene he's in and it's brilliant yeah. Yeah. yeah You're like who's this guy Um anyway so uh uh Keener's great uh, someone else I'd love to discuss because this is the fun sort of absurd meta side as well. Adding in shoe Elizabeth shoe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. Uh, that choice. Uh, talk to me about it. Yeah. Cause it's so random, you know, she's, For sure. and, and by this point, like she's, She's already done uh, leaving Las Vegas. She's right. already gotten an, her Oscar <laughs> nomination, and and so there's a little bit of time in between that and this, and she's kind of stayed like low key, like uh, she's kind of on the edge of our of our memories at that point, you know, as an audience, and then to to just be willing to kind of make not even make fun of herself, but just sort of be herself in mm. I'm a nurse now I got tired of the business like, yeah it's just fantastic and her reactions whenever something's being talked about about her there's that like come on you guys could you not even google her the karate kid the crane wax on wax off soap dish dreamer with the fucking horse any of that shit ring a bell and then like a moment goes by there he goes cocktail <laughs> cocktail um, and she's just standing there through all of it kind of with her hand like to the side of her temple like yeah yep this is I my every day like that's there's been other actors like that in movies like because honestly what this movie reminded me of and bailey you talked about watching this movie again and being like this killed me when i was in high school and now it made me cringe saving silverman is that movie for me oh, like um, we watched mm-hmm. that movie non-stop when i was in high school right. and now i'm kind of tempted to go back and watch it and see how how horrible it is now yeah. right no it, i'm yeah. sure it is you know she uh, you know she she's also made over her career she made some bold choices too like she didn't do the sequel to karate kid she could have shown it she could have easily right. been there and she didn't and she's sort of like stepped in stepped out like she was just on uh 
on Cobra Kai. On oh, that was my question. Show. Is she in Cobra Kai? Well, I haven't watched she, that yet. there's this she, phenomenal cliffhanger at the end of the one of the seasons <laughs> where Johnny gets like a, a Facebook message from her and everybody went nuts. <laughs> everyone was like, what? Is she coming back? And sort of the push, the fan push, is that she ends up with Johnny because there's sort of this like weird Reddit culture side to the fandom of Karate Kid, who, which is why Cobra Kai exists now, because they believed that it started as a YouTube show. They believed that if you edited it differently, technically... Daniel LaRusso is the bully because Johnny never throws the first hit and they like are chasing him but Miyagi beats them up before they ever really do anything to him but like they've hit him a few times and they like run him off the thing with uh, on his bike and stuff but it's like because he did things to them first and they're like getting back at it so it's this weird it's this weird fandom uh, side of the culture. Plus, he he has this moment that the the fandom hung on to, is, which is at the end of Karate Kid when he loses. Yeah. He's the one who hands Daniel Larusso the trophy and and like gives him like a thumbs You're up. You're not like, so bad, Larusso. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, it gets it gets across. You know. So I, I just made my Saving Silverman connection now. Because in Saving Silverman, they constantly talk about Neil Diamond. Which yeah. I know Neil oh, Diamond yes. is a little bit more famous than Elizabeth Shue. Maybe. But it's that same thing. Like It is that same thing. Yeah. Um, I love Saving Silverman. One I of my favorite lines from that movie time. I haven't is, seen it probably in 10 years now. Jack Black has this line that I use all the time where he picks up the nachos and they're all stuck together. And he goes, uh, if, if they're stuck, stuck together, together it's, one- it's one nacho. Um, and, you know, we... we touched on this a little bit uh but i'll say my opinion on sort of the the line they're walking with the racial comedy Mm. Uh i don't know how i feel necessarily about some of the stuff uh towards the latino latinx students right but the whole point of it ends up sort of being look how fucking stupid these three white people are yeah. It's the two young kids who are like the drama it's mostly kids. Mostly the girl. Mostly the girl who she's the one that in my opinion they could have cut like half of those things because she's yeah. the one that keeps like going after that guy with like really weird racial slurs and harsh like, okay. racial slurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then at the end it's, she's like it's cuz I want to fuck you and like jumps on him and you're like, "Oh, that doesn't She could have like that though." And you're like, "Okay." Well, yeah, and they could have built that in, in such a and made it a far more compelling, interesting thing. You know, I yeah. think that my favorite joke is him going to the parents' house, and it's like, no, I have a PhD in literature for, from Brown, and you know, I loved that, you know, yeah, 3.9, and tur- turning it on its head because I think that the spoof isn't just about theater and actors and stuff, but they're also talking about the white savior teacher you know stories they make that joke and, and a couple they, times a couple to, a key, and they keep like the referring Michelle to Pfeiffer it. thing and yeah yeah right. and they keep they keep referencing it a lot and which I think is fantastic and I think all of his attempts you know is the the, the turn in the chair and sitting in the chair backwards gonna yeah. rap with gonna rap with the kids and connect with the kids and which if it wasn't for his kids Right. The show never would have happened. Right. So yeah. Like, I mean, they they're kind yeah. of. Yeah. They're the ones that have. Yeah. They're the, you know, they're the ones that 
that uh, save well, him totally. And those kids actually feel less stereotyped, right? Like right. there's a bit of it. There is a bit of it, I, I will say. But for the most part, they have more humanistic characteristics than anyone else in the movie than any of the white people in the movie. Yeah. Right? right. And they end up, like you said, they end up being the reason why anything happens. It's their because their parents don't want it to happen. They end up being the driving force of everything. They're like, no, we want to make art. Like, fuck this guy who this who wrote it. But like also like we just want to do this because this is something we can do and it's and we're good at it. And we and we have found a family here and a passion here. And that's like the gem at the center of this uh lozenge i don't know what yeah, else to yeah. say no, jawbreaker no it's well put um what did you guys think about uh well both the drama kids we talked a little bit about uh the girl but then the the drama boy who of course a- ends up being gay and he's questioning his sexuality which is all right so fine, but it leans into so many cliches it does and that's again back to this sort of like all of the white people like cj said at the beginning sort of fit into like very cookie cutter cliche mm-hmm. stereotypes and even he starts to fit into one by the end of it i and it is used as comedy. Um, there's also race stuff used as comedy. There's um, rape stuff used as comedy. I mean, they're they're yeah. they're just well, also the about. joke of. I don't think anyone would make a joke of outing somebody now. Right. And no, it's no. kind of a funny joke in this movie with that student, and then he kind of becomes this rage-filled random villain right. that you didn't expect. Yeah. Right. And then he gets his sort of redemption arc by the end. Um, it's played by Skylar Aston, who yes. this is his first film role. Uh, I saw he's done Pitch Perfect since. Is he related a, to Samwise Gamgee? Is I that the same think answer? So. No, Oh, it's not. not (laughs) When I saw Aston, I was like, oh. Yeah, he's like a musical theater guy, though. He does, um, he sings. He's in all the Pitch Perfect movies. He's sort of the lead of those. He's great in those, too. Um, And then I saw him as the baker in Into the Woods. No way. At the Hollywood Bowl. It does. Uh, At the big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A a couple years ago. It was like three years ago. Yeah, and Sutton Foster was the baker's wife. Cool. And they were great together. It was he was he had a really great voice. It was really nice. Um, I always forget the kid's name. Gaten something. Gaten, uh, the kid from Stranger Things, Toothless from Stranger oh, Things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, god, yeah. I he heard was he was Jack. amazing. Yeah. And he yes. blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. His, and I looked the voice up, of an angel. Literally. Right, because he's a Broadway baby, and yeah. I actually looked him up. And there's a scene in season three or two, I, I don't remember, where he's singing the never-ending story theme, yeah, which is one of my girl, most nostalgic movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah season and three. I looked it up because he's not, he doesn't sing very well in that. So I was like, oh, what? Is, that's weird that they didn't let him just like belt it. And there's this article where he got interviewed, and he's like, no, they had that took forever. And they kept ADRing it and everything with with me because they were like, "It's too good. Can you sound bad? This kid doesn't have technical <laughs> yeah, training. Yeah. You know, th- there's no you training. Got way in this too kid's much past. breath support, kid. Right? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. Anyway, another digression. But uh, Phoebe Stroll, the other one who plays Epiphany, mm-hmm. um, she, Epiphany. the only other thing I've seen her in is Glee. Yeah, uh, she was in Glee. She was around in later seasons of Glee, and then I guess she was on like. Pretty Little Liars, and she's a voice on my fate. One of my favorite PlayStation video games, Bully. Oh, not familiar. One little thing I did notice. I mean, she kind of has. She has the most like super racist lines in the movie. Right. In the end, whenever they've all gone to Broadway, 
And I, I mean, I don't think they, I, maybe they did do it on purpose. She is not with the group of students. She ah. is not in the final shot. And ah. I, I mean, for me, for me, it was a little bit like, good. She was a fucking asshole the whole time. <laughs> right. Not that she wasn't in the show, but it was just like, she wasn't included in that final shot of everyone being like, we did it type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I, I, I didn't notice that, but that's a, a good catch. She's not good. I don't think okay. she's great no. in this. No. Okay. no. Can we talk about probably the best South Park irreverent element of this thing, which is rock me sexy Jesus. Oh my God. Uh, and yeah, uh, like anytime you, you do funny stuff with Jesus, it's funny to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Agreed. I'm sorry. All day. Um, Listen, Jesus like, would probably think it's funny if he. It, it's exactly, and but it was a great. It's a great number in the thing, and that's another great Elizabeth Shue moment. It's her reaction as she's watching the show, and she's loving all of it. She's right. getting all of it, everything that's going in. But rock me, sexy Jesus is pretty, pretty awesome, and then just all the absurdity of that final big production where you know they're they're on wires and they're doing the lightsaber battle and... what a high school production yeah right the time machine but also like <laughs> times a thousand like that it was what's hilarious too is that they've been rehearsing in this tiny space with this like weird backdrop and then they're like kind of working on sets but barely you're like what is good like okay i don't know what they're doing and then all of a sudden it's the most epic giant production that like you would see at you know in a warehouse somewhere with, to with me a million that's dollar film budget. not really knowing how theater works <laughs> i don't know is it that or is it them being like this is a hilarious gag that this well, is what yeah that out. too that too yeah. i mean it's it, a little of both it reminded me a little bit of the callbacks in high school musical where it's like right have these people ever seen callbacks before right, right. <laughs> stretching the logic to make it work now I told you all last time, I believe, on the last episode that I cried three times during the watching of these four movies. Oh, God. Okay. Once was in um, uh, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The second one was during this movie. What? During the final production. I, from the beginning of it to the end of it. I got a little wispy too. Like I got a little wispy too because it's, you know, it's your underdog heroes are are pulling it off and it goes off like gangbusters. And the way that they, it's, it's a really clever construction in terms of all of the insanity that's going on outside of the space. The the firemen and the press and all that stuff. In the meantime, they're all in it and they're all just like, and they're all nailing their stuff. Like yeah. all of the kids are nailing their bits, you know? It feels like there's, yeah, it feels like, like this rogue rebellious theater thing. Like it's, it almost, it, you know, it, uh, it made me think of like the, the, is it Belarus where the company theater company, you were the one talking about that, right? Yeah. 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 Like yeah. that, ha- that run it from a different country altogether. Yeah, right. and do it as a speakeasy underground pop-up yeah. wherever they can. Yeah, Right, because awesome. if they put up anything, the cops could just be waiting outside to arrest the actors and the audience potentially. You know what I mean? Like, it it gives you a little bit of that while also being completely tongue-in-cheek But the, because it's so ridiculous how many people are trying to shut this thing down when it doesn't even mean anything at all. But I also was just like, dude, I miss production. I miss mm. big productions. I miss stage hands and and fly lines and re- 
ridiculous musical numbers that don't make any sense and I just you know all of it well oh, yeah. and this there something that was kind of fun for me while watching these movies was as a theater person recognizing the familiar theater tropes that we would all know and one of them was making fun of theater kids in this one and also just public schools not giving a shit about arts programs yeah oh yeah because by the time I was a senior in my right. public school, band and chorus just didn't exist anymore wow. at my school. And all of the years from K through 12, we had to co-op with another school just to do a musical every year. Wow. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's the homesickness crazy. of theater. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just well, and yeah, and just this and... this pandemic has... has um, obviously for all performing artists and and creators in general has mm -hmm. been a tough hit and i think i just i was remembering i was having nostalgia you know and just Hell remembering yeah. all the times that i've been backstage somewhere and felt that energy that they're feeling that makes them keep going yeah my favorite line this is my last bit for this my favorite line from this movie and i think it was the um reviewer kid who i god i just thought that character was hilarious was what if it sucks isn't that a question an artist must must ask himself <laughs> it's true he's asking all the philosophical <laughs> questions and coogan like we haven't talked a lot about coogan but he just nails all these moments like the just the absurdity of it and his face sometimes is sort of accepting or not accepting truth right, and, and information. Right, and his lack of shame. He's good at playing <laughs> lack of shame. That's well put. Like, that's Alan Partridge. Dana Marsh. Marsh. Yes. Marsh. Marsh. Two other I'd, people. Go ahead. I was just going to say that his he started off his career, if, if, you've, if folks have never seen spitting image from great britain in the 1980s oh, right. uh, he started um it was a it was basically a satirical politically a political satire show with these puppets that were these insane caricatures of real people like these are like you know prince charles would have huge ears and these like twisted up eyes and they used the puppets for um one of Genesis's videos in the 80s, Land of mm. Confusion. They tried to do an American version like in the early 90s and it just didn't take, but it was like considered the thing and like a lot of people um, coming up like um, uh, all of the Daily Show folks, all that crew, mm. uh, all were just like, this is insane because they would go after politicians and the royals and other celebrities, like, unabashedly and, and brutally sometimes. That but. weirdly reminds me of MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh, I love that uh, show. Yeah, yeah. It had, a, <laughs> it had a kind of similar kind of vibe to it. But check out YouTube. Just do spitting image. and, and But he did a lot of the voiceover work and puppeteering for some of that stuff before he um, became big. 
Celebrity Deathmatch was one of those shows that my brothers would put on when my parents weren't in the room while I was there. <laughs> and then when my parents would walk in, they'd change it really quickly. Right. Uh, I saw that. I think I saw every episode of that for the first couple so seasons good. to the point that I was only seeing reruns. And then, right. and then they did a couple extra seasons and I was kind of out of MTV at that point. But God, right. da- like I would sit down. I can't even remember. I want to say it was like Friday nights that it was released. I would sit down to watch Celebrity Deathmatch. Nice. Nice. Two other people I think are worth shouting out in this movie are Joseph Julian Soria, who plays Octavio. Mm-hmm. He's great. He's, He's had a great career, too. Yeah, pretty good. He's in, like, the Purge election year was his, like, biggest role, I think, uh-huh. uh, in, in terms of things. But he shows up everywhere yeah he's, he's doing everything. it he's making yeah. a living doing it for absolutely sure. yeah. um i think he even made it into one of the fast and the furious movies like he's around i think um, i saw that too on his own yeah movie. he's a good he like runs drugs for somebody i don't remember uh and then um melanie diaz as yvonne uh, who plays yvonne those yeah. two to me are the most human characters in this whole movie yeah for sure because yeah, then you get sure. like uh, what's the girl's name who keeps is it Yolanda, Yolanda. who keeps yeah. <laughs> she just keeps hitting her she doesn't have a single line and she, they just Until beat the, the shit end. out of her the whole movie yeah. which is funny until you start like really thinking about it how they're really bashing these kids the whole time about their race and about like and it feels yeah I don't know it feels weird there's weird moments but I still laugh when her, she gives her reactions because she's funny. Well, and it's then when she finally has style film. <laughs> when she finally does speak and and drops the truth on it, which I right. which is set up in the first thirty seconds that you see her. She doesn't talk. She's gonna talk. You know yeah. that she's gonna yeah, talk yeah. at that point. Um, and yeah, that's great. I love that that because they the again we go back to it. The kids drop the truth bombs on, right. on that character and. Um, and then we should also shout out Amy Poehler, who's like only yeah. gets like five minutes of screen time, but <laughs> yeah. Amy Poehler's the shit out of it. Like she's just like boom, boom, boom. Like this is this was sort of their like like she had just gotten on SNL. This was sort of their like look who we got for a couple scenes, mm-hmm. you know, because Coogan hadn't blown up really in any way. So it was she was the one. Elizabeth Shue was a cameo in a in a way, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, you know. So it was. It was it was part of the the marketing for it. it was like and Amy Poehler's in it and then she gets like a few lines right. but she's very funny <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um anything else we want to say about Hamlet Dose no I mean it's funny um uh it 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 does have some problems especially nowadays so be aware um of all of that uh, but at the end of the day, I do think it, it's got some some heart to it. And and there's a lot of funny bits. And that whole last 15 minutes of the big, big school production is amazing. Yeah, it's on uh, Amazon Prime, a mm-hmm. company that's never done anything wrong. Um, no. yeah. So go support that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> It is on Amazon. I'm sure you could get it on Google or anything else. Um, I couldn't find it streaming anywhere else, but it was uh, it was fun to watch. Yeah, it was fun to revisit. It had been a long time, you know, so. Rock Me Sexy Podcast. <laughs> Rock Me Sexy Podcast. <laughs> on the on the the cover art for this one, I couldn't come up with, like, a podcast two. That's stupid. Podlet two. Hamcast. Like, none of it worked. So I Ham-cast. just did. Pamcast. Uh, so I just put... Uh, 
Hamlet to Rock Me Sexy podcast. I think that's that good. That's, that's, that's a good. good. One. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. now I want to yeah. do a podcast about ham. We <gasps> call it the Hamcast. Hamcast. Just, just <laughs> various types of ham. I, I think they're ham. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what makes me want to eat ham is the movie Ponyo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, Ponyo loves yeah. ham. Ponyo <laughs> loves ham. <laughs> <laughs> She also loves Sosuke. It's true. Um, <laughs> Sosuke! Super digression because you guys brought up anime. Did you guys see the trailer for the Star Wars anime that's coming? <gasps> what? No! So they, uh, Lucasfilm uh, chartered, I, th- I think they said seven anime studios to Whoa. tell like an anthology little short films they're gonna it's gonna be like an anthology series i think each episode is like half an hour or something okay it's uh, like the animatrix but yeah. with star wars but with star wars and like they're doing all kinds of like watch the trailer just go watch type in star wars visions and it'll pop up and it's I'm it's a- cool because it's not just it's like showing you behind the scenes and they're talking to all the artists and like there's this one Japanese dude who's like, I've been waiting my whole life to do Star Wars. So and excited. then like it cuts to like just this like samurai figure and igniting a lightsaber and you're just like, I'm in. In. Anyway. I'm I'm like at the end of season three of Rebels right now, so I am nice. I am balls deep in some Star Wars right now. So nice. Also check out the trailer for Marvel's new What If anime. The What If looks pretty great too, yeah. Fun. Looks really good. Look good. Yeah, looks really good. Yeah. Let's yeah. move on to my pick. Banner yeah, so pick. Banner I, pick. Like I said before, I had a lot of uh, choices up in front of me that I could not decide between, but I ended up choosing Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. CJ, um, uh, break it up. CJ's breakdown. A washed-up superhero movie star tries to breathe life back into his acting career by bankrolling a shitty play starring him on Broadway. But he might also have superpowers? Or is he undiagnosed and unmedicated? You decide! Mm. I was pretty proud of that one. You decide. <laughs> Choose your own well, adventure with I, this I, one. I, I'll, I'll take a little exception because it's... It's not a shitty play. That's the thing. It's a good play. It's a it's a weird play. It's a weird play, but like yeah, at the end of the day, like and that it's a that it's a Raymond Carver thing, like the words seen in the opening credits are actually written on Raymond Carver's tombstone in real life, which is and did you get what you wanted from this life even so? The answer is I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. Boy, that's perfect for Michael Keaton's character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got I I I went into some rabbit holes with this and uh, and so I like I got into like thinking about like Marquez and 100 years of solitude and the fact that I think the reaction to this movie after his earlier successes I'm speaking about Inuratu, who directed it, mm. um, like Babel and 21, uh, 21 Grams and uh, uh, B- B- Beauty, Bob, uh, I can't say it. But those earlier things that what's interesting is that this is a foreign film. It's just in English. And I think that that was why 
people reacted to it the way that they did. Like he's coming at it from an understanding of magical realism that uh, Spanish speaking uh, literature nerds would understand, but not necessarily um, even American film nerds would fully understand right. and how he's implementing magical realism. This is a dense, dense movie when you start unraveling it and start going into uh, why well, I texted you guys about the the jellyfish and the symbolism of jellyfish because you get that real quick flash of of a jellyfish, jellyfish at the beginning at right. the beginning and then he's got his whole monologue about the jellyfish and then you see the jellyfish imagery again and then the flowers and the specificity of the flower imagery and uh, like it is a dense poetic thing that is put through the mania of a single shot idea concept of the mania of doing theater and the mania of art and uh, the prison of celebrity and uh, the restrictions of celebrity and success and what that all means. And also sort of the like pretension of it and the bullshit absolutely. of it all. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The best part about this movie is that it sort of never takes itself too seriously for how seriously it's taking itself. Exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It like, knows it, it's being pretentious. It knows it's being a little bit um, out of bounds with some of the things that it's it's trying, but it's doing it in kind of like a cool, calm, collected way. Yeah. Um, but I agree. It, it is about the mania of it all, but it's also just about like celebrity and about like what that feels like and what it means to want so badly from a fan base or want a fan base. And the meta sides to this movie, I mean, I could get into it really deep. Uh, there's just, like, so much here. And I agree with you about it, it, it being a foreign film. I mean, it is. It's Inaritu, who we should talk about. He's um phenomenal director. One of my favorite movies of his is Amores Peros. Amores Peros, which was which, kind of his first big break. His first big break. Everyone should check it out. That's a it's, crazy movie. Yeah. Um, and then he also does... Um, uh, what's the fucking other one, Scott? Twenty One Grams, Babel. Twenty One Grams, Revenant. Well, so then there's Revenant, right? But right. Twenty One Grams is the other one from like early in his career that sort of took off and got a bunch of Oscar nods. And yeah, and like international, you know, Sean Penn wins the Best Actor at like right. at the Venice Film Festival and and all that stuff. Like it's, um. And it's not everybody's cup of tea. Like, like that's the thing. It's definitely not for everyone. There's just, you know, a lot of layers here. And he's, there's sort of a madcapness to him. Um, we should talk about the original ending that was going to have Johnny Depp in it as the as Jack Sparrow. And it was going to be a cycle. Did you hear? Have you read about what? this? No, tell me about that. So the original ending that they came up with, and it was Inuratu and three other writers, and they kind of all worked around the world like via internet and email and Skype and all that but the original idea was that it was going to end back at the theater that he, Michael Keaton was going to go back to the theater after the hospital and that you were going to see Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow with a big movie poster behind it and that he was going to kind of it was now going to be his turn that now Johnny Depp was going to have to go through the whole cycle, this whole idea of, of, of reinventing himself and recreating himself and all that. But then about halfway through the shoot, like in your was like, no, this is, 
this is stupid and I'm not going to do it. Um, and, and which leads to the, the ending that we have. And the I didn't know any of that. That's yeah. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, and that was kind of how, like, he was sort of operating like a mad scientist once he tripped on the idea of how he wanted to do it. And like, you know, he went to Michael Keaton. He's like, listen, you got to do this. And the first thing Michael Keaton was like, are you making fun of me? Like, I'm not necessarily against that. And he's like, no, no, no. And then sort of laid out what, what it was all going to be about to him. And Keaton was like, I'm in, like, I'm in, like, I'll put it all. Plus, you know, by that point, because it was this was kind of Michael Keaton's comeback after he hadn't been around for a while. Right. He, I mean, that's one of the meta aspects of this is that he's basically playing himself. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he played Batman in, in 98. And that's sort of I mean, they they're basically referencing it constantly. And this is apparently exactly what he's been going through. Uh, pre-Marvel picking him up and making him huge again, right? Yeah, but this right. is what kind of set that off. He gets the Oscar nomination. So obviously it wins four Oscars. It gets nominated for more. Uh, we have Best Picture, Best Cinematographer, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. But, and it has 91% on Rotten Tomatoes Critic, which I hate Rotten Tomatoes, so that doesn't mean anything to me. But it has 76 audience, which is a little lower. Um, this was hated by a lot of people. This was also hated by a lot of critics. Um, Roger Ebert really loved it, mm -hmm. uh, but a few others were not so into it. Um, I'm gonna I pull think up that, one quote that I freaking love that just destroyed the movie, but go ahead, Scott. No, I was gonna say, you know, they, they take aim at the critics, and I think that a lot of critics were really offended with how how they were portrayed by the oh, I forget the actress's name who plays the critic. She she pops up all the time. Get over yourselves, critics. Jeez. Yeah, right. But just the fact that she turns and threatens, I'm going to destroy your play. I'm going to destroy your play. But you hear those kinds of stories all the time that people walk in with an attitude. Well, I'm not going to let this movie star come to Broadway and and say what's what, like even if it's good. So you know, I understand why people would have been. But I'm I was sure. kind of in with her monologue too about this whole thing. I mean, it's kind of how I feel about theater here in LA. It's like you have this big show and you're going to do it at CTG and we're going to hire all movie stars for it. Right. Or worse, New York actors. We're gonna, and I, we're, we're, we won't even use LA actors. We'll use New York actors. Right. And I get, I get that sentiment about mm -hmm. what she's I, saying. I'll be honest. I think that's the thesis of the film, what she's saying, because the 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 whole point of it, right, is I, I almost disagree with you. Scott. I don't think this is a good play. I think it's good source material that is sort of could be a good play. But the idea is that Reagan wrote it. So it. It might be, but we don't really see enough of we it. Don't, it feels we, cheesy. We don't see enough of it. Okay, fair enough. What fair we're enough. seeing, the little bits we see are only ever sold to us when he and Ed Norton like really get into it. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then it dies the second later when one of them breaks, right? And you're like, oh, this isn't, is this good? It's it's actually a kind of a question. But the critic monologue, in a way, is sort of saying like, yeah, this is silly. Like, neither of them should even be on stage doing this thing. They're both the same person. They're both Ed Norton and Michael Keaton are basically 
vying for the same thing, just doing it in different ways. They're kind of the same deal. They both want celebrity. They both want, uh, it's just how they handle it. Yeah. Recognition. Right. Um, I think I I will add to that. I do think, I think that the thesis of the movie is in her monologue followed by his monologue. Because what Michael Keaton says to her and challenges her about being a coward and not having, you know, I think that's as much a thesis statement as anything else, because why not? Like, why can't somebody reinvent themselves like that at that point in their life or that point in their career? Like, I'm kind of I'm rooting for him. Aren't you rooting for are you? My, my, well, and then my response to Michael Keaton, and I know I said it to y'all while we were watching the movie is, then why, I mean, are you doing it to get reviews? Then why are you doing it? I mean, think about why you're doing it. Are you doing it to be famous? Are you doing it to get good reviews? Are you doing it to get award noms? And that's something that I have to ask myself as an artist. Oh yeah, we all do. Yes, Reviews about me are either they hate me or they didn't even notice me in the fucking show. So that's the other side. It's something that you either have to decide you're going to deal with it or you're going to let it go and not read that shit. Right. And it's sort of the other side of this movie is is this whole... or. not even of this movie of the people who didn't like this movie are the theater community. There's a big part of the theater community who may even listen to this podcast who, when they watched it, they felt like it was poking fun or even um, making us seem completely fame driven and whatever it may be. And I think what it's really posing is that there are people that, that are doing that. In fact, most of them are. Mm. Um, mm. A lot of them may say they're doing it for the art, but at the end of the day, what is their real drive, right? And I think the it's pointing out a lot of insecurities ab- that actors have right. and that theater makers have. And I think even me sometimes, there's moments in the movie where I'm just like, oh, that's so real, it hurts. Right. And I think that was hard for a lot of people too. Um, no, it's there's also it, other things to hate about this movie. That's not all that there is. <laughs> I, yeah. CJ, you had some strong feelings about it. I'd love to hear about it. I have two main issues about this movie. Yeah. Um, and listen, I just want to point out, like, I would like to say that there are things that, I mean, clearly this movie is beautifully and lovingly shot. Mm. Like, the lighting, the cinematography as a theater person made me homesick. Yeah. The soundtrack is fucking awesome. I loved it. I will see Zach Galifianakis in anything. I love him. Yeah. I have a real fucking problem with the attempted rape scene. And it's because... I, and I with, with Ed Norton and with Ed Wars. Norton trying to have sex with her on stage on her opening night of Broadway and her continually saying, no, no, don't do this. No, stop it. Stop it. And then how it is handled afterwards. It's and, and I, I understand that might be the reality of the situation. You go backstage and say this thing happened to me and jokes are maybe cracked about it or people yeah. don't take it seriously or maybe one of your coworkers tries to fucking make out with you at the end of the scene right and i think the problem i had with it was i didn't know if the film was trying to make it a funny part of the movie or is the film putting it on blast and saying well how are you dealing with it you know what i mean 
and it yeah. threw me out. It threw me for a loop for a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, mean, I would. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely meant to. I don't think that they're trying to get away with anything. Or, I think the. I do think that it slides a little bit into absurdity, the absurdity of of Edward Norton's character, uh, that that he can only get erect, that he can only do it. Well, uh, in front of an audience, and and so or yeah, he's I can... fucking a young woman, right? I mean, really, what it right. is the best part about that scene? I I say the best part. It's not. I mean, the scene is obviously trying to show a huge problem within the industry, both film and theater. Um, and because it's I've and it's real showing life it. stories of this happening. To Absolutely, people. which is why mm -hmm. I feel like it almost needs to be there or this is too clean like sure. it needs to show that what and this is what you're reacting to maybe maybe I, I don't know for sure but what happens is he stands up with a heart on and the entire audience goes berserk laughing that's not what I was reacting to <laughs> no 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 so what but this is what happens is so then they all are laughing so hard that then the next five minutes of the movie are just making light of it and just being like, ha, ha, ha. And they walk off stage and she's like, fuck you. And he's like, what? Come on. I just, it's a thing. And then Galifianakis comes up and is like, what happened? And he's like, oh, I don't know. She's going crazy. And they're like, oh, okay. And they move on. And they just keep making light of it as the audience did as well. It just right? sounded so, to me like a ton of people telling her to just relax. It isn't yeah. what you thought it was. And yeah, I just, I think it, yes. I think bugged it, me. <laughs> no, I, I think, it, I think <laughs> it's, it's supposed to. to bug you. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I, because... She keeps getting knocked down, and then, which is the case with a lot of in in your auto movies, and same with Edward Norton, is they kind of disappear. We don't we don't get any of their conclusions. We don't know what happens to them after opening night, and and so I think it's meant to sort of linger and haunt you a little bit, like how she's treated is. Horrific. Sure, but then I think I think the other thing that bugged me is a couple scenes later, Ed Norton gets all these meaningful monologues about how special Emma Stone is, and then right. he gets to fuck with how old is she supposed to be? I mean, he kind of I don't know. It's but... just, and I get it. It's the blast of like, hey, guess what? He never has to fucking deal with it. He never right. has. Yeah. He's never in trouble for it. I get that. It just made me mad for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I mean, maybe I get that's that. the point. Yeah. That was my reaction. Yeah. And it, I think that... and like I said, and I, I feel better now talking to y'all about it, but like, I kind of got mad at the movie of like, was that supposed to be some kind of joke? Because I, I didn't think it was funny. I don't think no, so at all. Inaritu's too smart for anything to be just a joke. I think first of all, and, and, and secondly, the best part about this movie is this kind of the meta narrative of Ed Norton and Michael Keaton because they are both playing themselves. Ed Norton is known to be notorious for being one of the hardest people to work with in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. He he is uh, he's got I don't know about like I don't think he has any assault allegations against him, but Yet. problematic enough things that we shouldn't be maybe paying him money to act anymore. Right. Like, like bad stuff. Um, the stories surrounding the incredible Hulk movie are nuts. So it's kind of like, and the way that he treated the marketing afterwards and would go on shows and be like, don't watch this movie. It's fucking terrible. They didn't let me give any artistic opinion, like whatever it like, he's a problematic figure. So for Inaritu to, 
to cast somebody who is a problematic figure is kind of an interesting thing. I don't know that I like the choice, but there is this meta narrative to the whole movie that adds up where, yeah, he does this, this absolutely horrible thing. And then he goes out on the fucking balcony and gets to say all this. And you're sitting there and you are troubled by it. And he's talking to Emma Stone. And you kind of feel bad for Emma Stone because you're like, yeah, you're kind of a mean person, Emma Stone. But you're obviously just young and going through shit. I'm kind of rooting for you. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. And this guy is a terrible person. And he, the first thing he said to you when he saw you was great ass. Right? Like, that's the first thing I think he says to her uh, when he meets her she, while she's walking away. by a car. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think... The worst, most hand-wringing thing about the whole movie is that Ed Norton doesn't get any comeuppance. He doesn't get, I mean, he gets punched in the face twice by Keaton and that's it. And we don't really get to see anything happen to him. And I, 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 I hate to always make the argument for things where it's like, that's the point. Um, because I, I think sometimes it's not the point and we say that's the point. But I would... I would draw us back to things like the Vogel plays or even maybe some of the, the more uh, thematic playwrights that we've covered recently where they are showing us sort of the worst of the worst and then also giving a human side to the worst of the worst. Does that mean I find him a hero in this movie? No, I really but, don't. No, it's no. that that humanizing, I think, especially like when we think about like how I learned to drive um, and other vocal plays. If, if you, if you look at everybody as a, uh, as a monster, then you're never going to understand that the evil that they do. If you don't. But also, but he's a fucking monster. Like, also, wait, wait, the women well, in yeah. Vogel plays though are the leads and they get monologues and you find out more about them. The women in this, the, the one lead is, is a crazy person that likes to fuck Michael Keaton. The second one is a victim and Emma Stone is this lost teenager that has sex with the evil guy in the end too. Right. I mean, at least with Vogel, you get to meet, meet the person that's used the whole time. And then the villain is a side character. That's true. I really love Naomi Watts' character in this. I, I agree, though. And all though. the women were great in this. I mean, right. she does become a victim. Everyone in this is, is, does an amazing job. There's right. No to be doubt clear, also, that. CJ, we're agreeing with you. The, the thing that happens on that stage is horrific. The way it's handled is not correct. Oh, I know. I, this is my rage at the movie. No, it's not yeah, I get it. I get it. But I would, I, I would rage at the industry. You know what I mean? Because it's he's pointing something out that is real. Like you said, there are so many stories like this. And I, unfortunately have been on stage when something like uh, similar, not that bad, not not nearly that bad, similar happened, where it actually, that you mentioned, CJ, uh, somebody grabbed somebody and started kissing them, never had been rehearsed, never had been part of the, th and we were, the whole cast fucking erupted at this dude, because it was just like, you can't, what are you doing? Yeah. That's not the show, that's not what we've rehearsed. She already has a trauma and a past and, a th and that, that you know about, and it was a whole, anyway, I agree with that. But the the side of it that I think I'm able to forgive it for is that it is constantly commenting. Every scene has its own comment on the industry and what it may be. And when you're done talking about your next thing, I, I want to mention Holly from The Office, who plays his his wife, is fucking phenomenal in this. I got to look up her name. Anyway, she go ahead. Lovely. Yes, you're right. She was lovely, too. I also love the name Holly. My second big issue with this show is it is a it is a spoiled rich man 
that has been given everything and he's not happy and he makes everyone around him miserable for that. Yes. I I dated a guy years ago that had a very successful career in film and television, was doing really legit stuff. And every time we hung out, all he could do was complain about his career. And there was Ugh. a couple times where I was like, I would kill to have your fucking career. Yeah. And it's just, and I, I get it. I understand the whole thing of like, but I'm an artist. I know I want to do artistic shit. I, I understand everybody's uh, pull to want to do that. But I think for me, this was just not a movie I needed right now in my life. Sure. It's like Joker. It's sort of like I, when I saw Joker and I was like, I didn't need this. I don't think any of us did at this right. point. Um, I agree. I think... At the time I saw it, the first time especially, I had a lot of hatred for Hollywood as a industry. And I think part of me was like, woo, 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 like, yeah, screw them. Sure. Um, and I also think he, there's not really anyone to latch on to in this movie, unfortunately. Maybe Zach Galifianakis, but even he's problematic. He has some some. Yeah, I issues. just latched on to him because I just love him as an actor. Yeah, love him all day. Emma I love Stone's, blustery redheads. Emma Stone is, is easier to connect to than most because of her moments when she gets caught with the pot and how she handles that. And the, one of the um, best things I've ever seen her do. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this proves her chops, right? And in the, the scene with the toilet paper, where she talks about, this is something mm -hmm. we learned, mm -hmm. um, you know, just realizing that this one sheet of paper is the amount of times, the, the amount of time that humans have been on earth. And this whole role is, is time itself. She shows some chops there, man. Like she really mm -hmm. does. But I, I would argue the a big flaw with this film uh, that I, I, I will recognize is that there isn't really a hero. I'm going to go back to what Scott said earlier. I don't think I am rooting for him. I think I hate this guy. I think I I think it's I'm rooting for Michael Keaton because I want Michael Keaton to and have a huge comeback. There's no doubt in about right. that. Oh, I I totally disagree. I think oh, at wow. the end I'm I am rooting for Michael Keaton. Yeah. I am and maybe it's just because of being older, but the idea that you that you can sincerely put your everything that you have left on the line for something that you artistically believe in and and all of the flaws wrapped up in it like that that I think that the flaws are are what makes it the magical realism and and his having the the birdman powers or maybe not having the birdman powers all of that does lead me and that's why I find the ending so hopeful and justified that he does get to recreate himself he literally takes off the mask at the end and his face is different he's a different person it's not an easy thing he's an anti-hero in, in a lot of ways and i i get everything that you're both saying i just it, it was it was so much more to me than that that that's why that whole monologue with the critic at the end and that redemption and sort of the mania that the industry and the art together combined to put on any person that they that they are that they can't ever move on from this one hit that they had back in the day and i think that that's why i was rooting for him is that you see that happen so often like i'm really interested to see what happens now with robert downey jr like how does he ever sure. escape iron man again he's got enough before and 
kind of well Doolittle. The Doolittle franchise is going to be huge. Come on, and, and Sherlock Holmes. But <laughs> well, I, I agree I with think that. That's why why I, I I responded to it. It's it's not that you, a, a love of the characters necessarily. It's a defiance. It's 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 him attempting to do something in the face of uh, an industry and a world and a media culture that that says you can't do it. I agree. Well, I will say the only thing that kills that for me is that he had to shoot himself in the face for to get it all. Well, you know and, what I mean? Like, and my right, response right, is, but why it couldn't accident. it be a woman or a person of color playing that role? I, it could have. It could have been it anybody. Been. Yeah, I, mean, I think. Be, you know, be, I, I think I, the added layer of it being someone who literally like, is in the situation and is. Um, Someone we all are are rooting for to come back, Keaton, and he has had a massive comeback. He's he's all over the place now. He's great. Mm -hmm. um, one of the best villains in the MCU, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's. I could say that about any movie, though. I think at this point, um, and I do, I do say that about any movie where I'm like, this could have been anybody. Why is this? Why is this this person? But it's 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 that person because he's friends with Inaritu. He's a He's uh, he is the person that it's basically written for. I mean, that's kind of the side of it. But the other side to this is it's an all white cast, pretty much. It yes. is, period, isn't it? Um, yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's Mexican and person of color in Uratu. But yeah, anyone I mean, with a legitimate amount of lines. Yes, is right. is white. Um, and. It, and I think that is also maybe on purpose by Inaritu, because um, he doesn't always do that in his movies. In fact, no. uh, he doesn't do that in most. No, of his you look movies. at Babel, and there's only two white people in it. Right, but and then you. Ha I, I mean, he, they're the stars, but yes. I, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's you know focusing a lens pretty intently on on. It's in a way, and I had a friend tell me this, so I'm stealing this um, from someone. But they basically were like, Birdman is basically what white American theater we see you what Instagram is trying to point out like it, it that 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 Instagram there's this Instagram uh, called we see you white American theater and they've been calling out theaters especially in California and New York uh, who they feel like their staffs are not um, uh, diverse enough multicultural enough uh, and, and and just very white and they've been kind of barely almost doxing uh these theater companies to try to get these things out and uh there has been controversy about it but there's also been some good change that has come from it which has been great um there's also i don't know i don't know there's a lot there's a lot going on there but uh i had a friend say yeah birdman is basically pointing out everything wrong with the white American theater industry. It's Broadway. It's a, a massive actor um, from movies trying to have a comeback. So he takes up space in a Broadway theater, a place where something uh, uh, actually of true uh, art could be taking taking place. Um, and then by the end of the movie, obviously he feels or it, it's meant to feel like he has made that art and by making it hyper real and by, um, can I ask a question? Yeah. Before we finish this out, um, why do you think it's called? Besides the obvious uh, reason, the ending being the name of the actual um, article, title of the article. Uh, 
Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance? Why is ignorance a virtue and why is it called this? I think it has to do with, again, we're talking about the, the mania of the industry and of critics and of the media and all of it is that he he doesn't know that he's not supposed to do it. He doesn't right. know that he's not supposed to succeed. So the virtue of just having blinders on and following um, a path is 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 the virtue. It's the, the ignorance is the virtue, not knowing that what's what is supposed to be and is not supposed to be um, accepted. At least that's how I took it this time. You know, this is like my third or fourth viewing of the movie. So it was, it's different every time. It's also, there's also a uh, quixotic kind of vibe about it. Like in the same way that Don Quixote is, you know, a knight, quote, end quote. He's not a knight, but that he's, you know, you know, fighting windmills and all that is similar to um uh, his the, having the Birdman powers and the floating and the flying and and all that. So that the you know the obliviousness of Don Quixote is what makes right. him a hero in the end. So that's that's where my mind goes is Don Quixote, right? Where the whole thing is his ignorance is what guides him to the happiness. I don't know the end <laughs> um, to a positive uh, situation. Um, Well, to a a personal catharsis, at least. Right. CJ, is ignorance a virtue? Uh, To put it bluntly, I don't care. (laughs) Like, at the end, if he did fly out the window, I hope he flew to therapy. Like, I just... That movie just made me feel a lot of shit. And it was mostly anger in a lot of different directions. Sure. Um, And again, like I said beautiful movie I understand and I mean obviously it's made me talk and think about a lot of fucking shit and Mm -hmm. there were so many it makes me sad to know it wasn't um nominated for music um yeah that's so great was it nominated for cinematography because that was Mm -hmm. beautiful too and the acting is amazing like it wins cinematography um by the end of it, I just, he was so, I just thought he was so selfish and just kind of like, he would have these glimmers where he would apologize or have a nice conversation with his daughter. And then it just, and then he blows his nose off in front of a bunch of people. And then it's all about him again. I just, yeah, I just. Yeah. I think this movie isn't for everyone. I think that's a big part of this is like, yeah. I, some people want things tied up at the end. Some people want a hero to latch on to. Some people want an anti-hero even, you know, and I think this lacks a lot of that um, on purpose and is also... I wanted people to be punished at the end. Yeah, I think that's what we want from our movies. That's what we want from, especially from our big blockbusters, right? Where it's it, Because we're used to that. We're used to the villain getting their comeuppance um, unless there's going to be a sequel, right? And so I think Thanos wins in this one, unfortunately. This is uh, the timeline where Thanos wins. Oh, don't get me started on Thanos. <laughs> um, but I I do really love this movie. Uh, I think it's pointing out all the right things in the right ways. But I think it, I agree. It's not for everyone. So uh, just like we said with Hamlet 2, if you go pick up this movie, be aware. Like there's, there is a attempted rape scene uh, in front of a lot of people. There is um, a lot of pointing at people in our industry and 
basically putting up a middle finger. And I think that's, I think that's hard, but I maybe love it for those reasons. I don't know. It wins four Oscars. One of the big ones is, um, Emmanuel Lubezki, who also did gravity for Alfonso Cuaron. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's a, I mean, his cinematography is just insane. And then it gets a few, a few, uh, nominations for acting and things like that. Keaton won the golden globe and was nominated and for an Oscar. This is the same year as uh, Boyhood. This is the same year as American Sniper. The same year as Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, Selma, um, The Theory of Everything, Whiplash. Those were the best picture noms. This does win best picture uh, and best director and screenplay as well. I will say one of the biggest flubs of this whole thing, and you might agree with me, Scott, is that Eddie Redmayne wins for The Theory of Everything. I saw that movie. <laughs> I might have seen it with you, Scott, and we were both angry at Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> what a terrible performance and film. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it here. <laughs> terrible performance and film. Eddie Redmayne wins for The Theory of Everything as Stephen Hawking. The other nominations are Michael Keaton for Birdman, who I think should have won, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game, which he's good. It's... He it's does okay. the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bradley Cooper in American Sniper, which, okay, give it to the Americans who won it. Um, and then Steve Carell for Foxcatcher, which I will say is a great performance, but it that is. movie is not great. I no. don't love that film. No, it's an okay movie with a, a couple of really good performances, but yeah. But you don't get any nominations for females in this film. Uh, which fucking blows. Um, oh, excuse me. Sorry. Emma Stone did get a nom for supporting actress. I apologize. Um, she was up against Patricia Arquette in Boyhood, though, so she was never going to win. Because sure. um, that movie's next level. Is there anything else y'all want to say about Birdman? Final piece. CJ, I want to hear your final thesis statement on this film. I didn't need it. I'm glad I saw it because everybody talked about it and I heard yeah. amazing things about it and I heard negative things about it. So I, I'm glad I saw it. I understand the hype. I didn't need it. Scott, what's your thesis statement on Birdman? I think it's brilliant and we'll be talking about it in 25 years. All right. My thesis statement is that um, it does currently reside in my top five movies of all time. That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, but I, you know, but I get it. I get it at the same time because there's other movies in that top ten list that I know for a fact probably both of you don't like. So it's fine. <laughs> Hook is in there, so it's, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> son of a bitch. Scott Higgs Hook. It's bang. Bangarang. Bangarang Rufio. Bangarang CJ. Um, anyway, okay. So there's Nostalgia. something that I really love to do at the end. No, of these. it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. I, I I don't believe what you're about to say. It is true. I no I have Twitter a stinger. There's a brand new Twitter and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, go follow Bailey loves ranking shit. Bailey on loves ranking shit. Yeah, it's oh, actually another thing y'all aren't gonna follow. Exactly. It follow at loves ranking is what it is. I don't know why they gave me that, but I was like sure. Um, but it is Bailey loves ranking shit. Shit spelled with an exclamation point instead of an I, because you know family stuff. Um, but I've already posted. I think my Fast and the Fury. Uh, rankings, which I've changed, and I'm probably uh, Marvel, as of, Star Wars, okay. Star Wars, Marvel, uh, 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 my Zemeckis Aliens. list, weirdly, my Alien list. Yeah, go check it out. I'm gonna keep posting those <laughs> weekly. Um, but anyway, all that to say, Bailey loves ranking shit. I do. I love ranking <laughs> shit. I have a Twitter about it. Okay. Um, I would like to hear four, three, two, one. How you feel about these, CJ? Let's start with you. 
four, Birdman, three, Hamlet, two, two, Guffman, one, Shakespeare in Love. Wow. Good list. Good list. My yeah. cat Scott? just came in to agree with me. Uh, Hamlet, two, Shakespeare in Love, Waiting for Guffman, Birdman, or the Unexpected, unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. That is also my list. Yeah. Hamlet 2, number four, I think it has its place. Uh, there are there are moments of its brilliance. It did make me cry. Um, oh, the third the third thing that made me cry, I forgot to mention, was that I had to sort of hide from you guys during Birdman. Watching a movie that I love with people that I love, getting knowing that I was going to get to talk about it on a podcast in, in the next week, and that it's a movie about theater that, and all four of these, it was just so good to watch them because even Hamlet too, where I was just like, man, like people make movies about theater. Like mm-hmm. I, it's not just something we love. It's not just this weird subculture. It is, it's in the mainstream. And it, we, we talk about the ebb and flow of when theater gets popular again, and goes away, but popularity is the slutty little cousin of prestige. So I don't know. <laughs> True. Well, I don't know it. who says that in Birdman, but somebody says it. Um, we'll that's my ranking as well. Birdman's uh, top for me. Sh- uh, Shakespeare in Love and Guffman are in my top twenty. Uh, yeah, movies like of all time. It, yeah, it's like it's ridiculous to try and rank those two. Yeah, because I, I don't I, even know. I really, really love the rewatch of Shakespeare in Love. I did too. I, I, and that's a comfort film for me too. Guffman's one for I sure. put on like five times a year, but Shakespeare in Love I've probably watched once a year since I was a kid. Like I, it's a good one. Um. CJ, I appreciate you picking that one. Scott, I, that movie. Uh, I appreciate you taking CJ's suggestion for Hamlet 2. <laughs> I hope we um, get to cover Topsy Turvy sometime, because I would love to see that. I would argue we should do a in-stuff on the movie, and we should do a uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in-stuff? miniseries. Yeah. Oh my god. Get, I, that's actually one where I know quite a bit of their shit. That would be really fun because there's also a million performances of all of them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I did Pirates of Penzance in high school. I love Pirates. I played, shockingly, one of the male parts because boys didn't do theater at my school. Right. Who did you play? Do you remember? I love that. The Sergeant show. of Police. Yes. <laughs> I wish it was the Major General. Major General. Yeah. But we actually had a boy from another high school playing that, so... Um, okay. Guys, I've heard there's some theaters opening up. I've heard there's some things going on. So does anybody have a... LA Spotlight. LA Spotlight. Yeah, we have a few things going on uh, that we should hype out. First of all, uh, it's going to open on the 10th, so... This is the 11th that this episode is coming out or being dropped, so it's already open, but it's going to go on for a little while. Um, Loft Ensemble uh, here in Los Angeles is doing a new show called Code Pink. Uh, it, sound is by our dear friend uh, uh, Travis Snyder Eaton, nice. uh, friend of the pod, guest of the pod, um, and he's doing sound for it. But it was written and directed by Adam Chambers and Jana Lee Hamblin with additional writing by the cast. Um, it's going to be Saturdays at 8 p.m. and Sundays at 7 p.m. Check it out at loftensemble.org. Um, also, oh my God, and it's getting uh, LA Times are 
covering it. The New York Times covered it, which I think is like the, the earth should crack in two that the New York Times came and um, reviewed a show. But the Fountain Theater is doing uh, an octoroon. Uh, an octoroon is a mm. radical, incendiary, and sub, uh, subversively funny riff on uh, Diane, Diane Bercoles. Once popular 1859 mustache twirling melodrama set on a Louisiana plantation, a spectacular collision of the uh, antebellum South and 21st century cultural politics um, that is running right now. Get your tickets. They are selling out super fast. I'm mm. going in a couple weeks. And from what I've heard, put on your prepared to be offended hat. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Uh, gasp inducing friend uh, of the say. pod Casey Rogers is uh starring in it and awesome. she we're gonna have her on for sure this season or next yay um she's, she's awesome. phenomenal and, and uh Vanessa Stewart mm -hmm. uh friend of the pod fellow I didn't know that Big yeah. Fools member is in it yep she plays the 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 white uh amazing yeah well, so uh, Loft sidebar. I just booked a choreo gig with them in their upcoming season. Oh, nice! I'm waiting Congrats for to stuff, CJ. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's my first out of quarantine gig that I nice. Got. It's right. like it's real again. It's like we're yeah, doing right? theater again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, we should also please give another. We're gonna keep hyping this until it gets past SB eight oh five. Yeah, SB eight oh five CA um, on Twitter on Instagram. Um, basically, it is an amended budget that would provide. Uh, funding for small theaters, uh, small arts organizations, dance companies, etc., across the state of California, not just in Los Angeles. Um, please get on. Um, please like and share. If you're in California, uh, tweet, uh, contact Gov Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, if this goes through, we need to get him to sign the bill. Um, but basically, it's uh, it's sort of an amendment to AB5, which is the new bill, which goes into effect uh, later this summer. Um, where you know people got to get paid uh, at least minimum wage for everything, and SB 805 would provide funding to make sure that theaters uh, can do that, so that actors and crew members and staff members and marketing people and dramaturgs and all that can get paid for working and doing their art and their craft. Wouldn't that so be fucking that radical? Check right? that out. <sighs> you guys got anything else? No. I hate the summertime. I hate this weather so fucking It was much. humid today in today L.A. What's was, that about? Today it was literally humid. makes me want to barf. I, I hate this weather. I was dripping today uh, <laughs> working out. Scott. Working out. It's hot. Scott, that's really hot. <laughs> I will say the amount of times I said today to people when I needed to make small talk, the amount of times that I said, I didn't move to L.A. for this weather. <laughs> it's over 15. I said it at least 15 times. Warm yeah, yeah. today. Warm today. It's be warm tomorrow. Warm today. Warm tomorrow. Thank yeah. you, everyone, <laughs> uh, for joining us for another Theater Theater bonus miniseries. Uh, that concludes our Movies About Theater um, miniseries. So join us again next week as we begin our next playwright miniseries. He's not really a playwright, but that's okay. Freestyle Podcast Supreme, covering three works by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Those are going to be In the Heights, Bring It On, The Musical, mm -hmm. and Hamilton. What? We've talked about Hamilton a little bit, but... Who? Right. What? What is what? Hamilton? Hamilton? Who? What? Who is Hamilton? Uh, who is Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yeah, and we might we might dip in a little bit to the Ishmael Reed 
play The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm going to get my hands on that. Yeah, Uh, yeah, uh, Travis uh, lent me his copy, and I finished it, and I need y'all to read it. I'll I'll bring it by. Uh, Travis will be fine with it. He listens to the pod, and I'm asking him right now. Hey, Trav, are you cool with it? Trav, can I borrow your book? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thanks, Trav. Um, And uh, we do have two very special guests joining us for that miniseries. We have Sophia Macias, a dear friend of the pod, um, and Stephanie Gomez. They are both going to come on. They have a lot of uh, experience working on Miranda shows. Awesome. So we're bringing them on. They're going to have a lot to say. Um, and I'm just excited to get into it. That's going to be a fun episode, uh, actually, miniseries. And then our next N stuff is a Bailey pick, which is Theater Nightmares. So we're going to need some help from you, our listeners. DM us on Instagram, Twitter, text us, email us if you have it, uh, at theater, theater, pod, I don't know, all the things. Um, Send us nightmares that you have experienced. And these are real life things that happened to you, not dreams that you had. But like, send it to us. We'll read it on the pod. We've already got a few. um, And we'll tell some of our stories as well. I've got one that haunts me to this day. Oh, God. I can't wait. (laughs) Uh, Questions, comments, additions, corrections. Uh, Do you have people that you want us to cover? We would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, via email, or even Twitter. Scott? Yes, a big uh, shout out to Pamela Quinn for joining us on part one. Pam contributes a song to most of our episodes, and we thank her so much for that. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song and all of our stingers. Our theme song is better than your theme song. And finally, to the great Annie Baker, Pulitzer Prize winner and writer of this podcast. But she doesn't know it. That's how brilliant she is. And one day soon, we're going to have a beer with Annie Baker. Promise. But she does know that she doesn't know. True. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) She at least knows, she at least doesn't know that she knows that she doesn't know. I'm fairly certain she does. Great. Uh, (laughs) Follow us on all the things. Rate, subscribe, review. We appreciate you so much. And as always, butts and mouths, they're similar. Same Very thing. similar. They're the same, same thing. thing. They're the exact what? same thing. Gross. We love you guys so much. We'll see you later. Sugar. Sugar. Water. <laughs> Sugar. Water. Flour. Sugar. Water. Flour. Sugar. Water, flower. It's from Wait- Waitress, which is about to, they just announced they're coming back to Broadway. Pam is probably losing her mind. That's for Pam. I, I wanted to do a, a waitress thing for Pam. I don't know Waitress. I don't either. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> Bye. Later, everybody. The theater, the theater. Theater, theater.